In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast in 2023 it's been a little while since i've been on and i don't feel too bad about it but that's what life serves been hunting a lot business has been taking up a lot of my time uh and of course you got to work in there somewhere as well as having a nine month old and a four-year-old so decided to prioritize life and my business so apologize if you've been waiting for some things uh, but I have been thinking and working on a couple of things in the process. So there will be some good episodes coming up here in 2023. I'm not going to promise every week again for 2023. Uh, just going to keep rolling as I can. So we'll see what the, the year brings. But definitely working on uh, getting a few more out there. And until we hit that hunting season, I can imagine, yeah, we're going to we're gonna be rolling some, some with some good episodes. So uh, this episode is a great one, and I'm excited about sharing that. I've already talked to a few people about this episode, and I haven't even released it, obviously. We are talking mountain lion hunting without dogs with a buddy of mine, Skylar Burke, here in the Black Hills of South Dakota, and we can't hunt do- lions with dogs in most of South Dakota, or the main portion of Maybe you can on the prairie. I don't know. Uh, but in the hills, where, where everybody thinks about where lions are and where you're going to most likely run into a mountain lion, you cannot use dogs. And a lot of people in the West think, that's crazy. How the heck are you going to find a mountain lion? Uh, I remember in Colorado where there was no chance I was even going to go out unless I had a buddy or somebody with dogs. So this gives you a really good opportunity and the tools you need to get out and try and find a mountain lion when it's just you and some calls. Uh, I would highly suggest a electronic call. Uh, But what I would please ask you to do is save. um, This episode is a great one. But what I would 
ask you to do is listen to the whole thing, even all the way to the end. There's a couple of questions I had following the episode, and I'm going to share those in the end when they make sense. So hang on to the end. Thanks again for listening. And as always, uh, Ridge Patrol, ladies can get 10% off using Clint 10, as well as go over to Wilderness Athlete, get 20% off with promo code HUNTINGHUB. H-U-N-T-I-N-G-H-U-B. And again, Ridge Patrol, Clint 10, C-L-I-N-T 10. As always, enjoy this episode, and thanks for listening. All right, Skyler, thanks for jumping on the podcast with me to talk mountain lion hunting. And uh, uh, mountain lion is something that is right around the corner or in other Western states, it's here. People are hitting it hard um, with dogs, and that's anywhere from Arizona to Montana and pretty much all over the West except California and probably Oregon and Washington. I don't know about those states, but uh, so pretty much uh, it's it's that, that time. Se- deer seasons, elk seasons are pretty much over uh, for the most part. And uh, that good winter activity is, is uh, getting out and chasing lions. And it's a great day today to get in some snow. And our season here in South Dakota opens up in five days, I believe, day after Christmas. So you, I'm sure, are getting geared up, ready to roll. Hope you're legged up and ready to get some, some walking in. But if you wouldn't re- mind real quick, just introduce yourself. We are in and uh, maybe how you got into lion hunting. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. My name's Skylar Burke. Um, I lived in Rapid City, South Dakota all my adult life. Uh, I was in 2nd Ranger Battalion there in the military for about six years and came back and really got into the lion hunting with my buddies and some friends. And uh, it was... It was always a dream in high school to kill one. They opened this mountain lion season in South Dakota where we couldn't use dogs. And uh, they thought there was too many mountain lions in about roughly 2005, six somewhere in there. Yeah, I think it was 05. Yeah. Yeah, and we uh, we figured out what a mountain lion track looked like in 2005. We were driving around drinking Mountain Dew, uh, looking around in the snow for tracks, and we never really followed them very far. And we never really gave a good chance calling them in. We were mostly just driving around looking for a mountain lion on the side of the road to shoot, but hmm. uh, never were successful there in high school. But after uh, I got back from the military there, uh, I noticed that there was three or four names of guys that had killed one almost every year since the season opened. And I became uh, obsessed with figuring out how these guys were doing it. Yeah, I've gotten... Yeah, I kind of reached out to our kind of local Facebook group all about some lion hunting here in the Black Hills, and they uh, all directed me to three guys. You were one of those, <laughs> as someone who's pretty accomplished in the lion hunting world. And, and just so everybody knows, you can't hunt lions in most of the Black Hills with do- with dogs. So you are on foot, and in a lot of Western states, that's uh, like, you can't do that. That's not going to work. It's kind of unheard of. I know in Colorado, it's uh, you have dogs or you have a buddy with dogs or you finally buckle down and pay an outfitter to to run a line for you and tree one and, and everything. And I've been on those hunts, and they're hard. 
They are really, really hard. You go where those dogs go and it's physically demanding. It almost sucks because you're just going through the thickest, nastiest stuff because that's where the line went. And it's, it's fun. It's pretty, pretty cool. Uh, but this is almost a, a different kind of hunt. And I wanted to bring you on and, uh, and discuss some of these techniques and tactics that you're using to be successful hunting, uh, but also to encourage hunters that you don't have to go pay an outfitter necessarily to, to go or, or rely on someone with dogs. I mean, there's people that are doing it in these Western States without dogs and doing it consistently. Just like you said, those guys are killing lions every year without dogs. So, um, another thought I had was just how unique of a situation, uh, this community is in, and I don't want to just speak to South Dakota, but I am because this is a newer population of mountain lions relatively compared to other Western States where those lions have been around for decades and decades. We're only talking 2005 that we had a season. So I, I remember digging an old magazine that, that was just kind of the early sightings of mountain lions of, are there mountain lions in the black Hills? And it's almost laughable now. It's like, yeah, they've been here a little while, but they, uh, they really didn't blow up until that, that two thousands or so. And it's, uh, there's a lot here and there's a really unique dispersal studies out that SDSU had done about how our lions ended up one dead on a railroad in Oklahoma. One got hit by a car in Connecticut that was collared here in the hills. Some of the longest, not migrations because they're not migrating. It's the longest dispersal of young subadult males is from the Black Hills of South Dakota, which is kind of unique. So those lions are traveling and they're they're those subadult males because the the home ranges are taken up. If anyone knows anything about the Black Hills, it's pretty pretty small area compared to uh public land big hunks of forest service in colorado wyoming montana but so back to this uh, tight-knit community we have this this uh support i see i'm, I'm gonna call myself an outsider in in the lion community because i've had a tag or two and that's about it i've never really dove into it uh but i would love not against it i would absolutely love to do it but i see a lot of support for guys saying, get out there and kill a lion, get out there and kill a lion. You don't see that between mule deer hunters and you don't see that between rifle hunters and, and archery hunters as much as I think the lion community. And I think my guess is it has to do with the, uh, the fact that our guys, hunters here like that you can't use dogs and they want us to meet our quota or something like that. I don't know. That's my guess. So what are your, talk about that, that, uh, community that, that's been created here yeah um firstly uh real quick i think there was uh you know there's always been some mountain lions in the black hills but here in the early 90s they uh they stopped giving away those gas station tags you couldn't just go down and get as many deer tags as you wanted um my parents and grandparents talked about oh yeah seeing a two-point deer being uh trophy deer better show the neighbors put it on the front of the car yeah shot a two-point well uh the hills deer population and quality of deer has exploded since uh since that happened and the mountain lion population followed suit um and i'm glad they did open one in 2005 but uh this support group yeah is incredible uh, i wasn't on it 
in high school. I'd say I joined in there in about 2014, maybe. And there is so much stuff to read, so much stuff to learn, so many uh, cool stories, photos getting shared, game cam. Some people are telling you areas to go. Some people are letting you hunt on their land. Um, just fascinating stuff. Uh, the good discussions about dogs versus no dogs um, and how we're going to move forward if uh, these quotas aren't being met. Um, it's it's incredible. I've, uh, I've made five or ten good friends and 20, 30 acquaintances um, on there and had the pleasure of going lion hunting with three or four of those guys that were killing lions every day, whether I bumped into them in the woods or we met up from Facebook and they said, you know, this motivated young man could probably kill one if somebody steered him in the right direction. And, uh, it, it's been, it's been great. Uh, I, I enjoy scrolling through there. There's how to's and it's, it's amazing. Uh, and all the main guys that are out there killing lions, uh, are, are on there. There's one or two that they don't prefer to share stuff, not because they don't have opinions or anything on it, but just busy or, you know, outfitters on other sides of the state and stuff like that. But sure. What's the, what's been the draw for you? Why, why lions? What's the, why mountain lions? Why that style of hunting? And what, you know, uh, I've always had fun deer and elk hunting, but, uh, calling in an animal, you know, a bull elk, uh, first time I rattled in a deer, a turkey. I mean, it was, uh, it's, it's a little more exciting getting the animal to come to you. Um, and I really got good at coyote hunting, uh, probably in high school and, uh, started buying fancy electric calls and getting better rifles. And the first time, uh, I seen a mountain lion come running into the call or, uh, it was, that was it for me. I was, if I, if I had a lion tag in my pocket or a friend of mine had a lion tag in their pocket, I didn't care if it was snow, no snow, negative 20, 60 degrees. If, if the season was open, I was going to try and go lion hunting. So, um, just a, just a super predator. And the more you follow one around, uh, the more you learn about where they're going and why they're going there. Um, you want to talk about athletic, they i've seen lions that didn't even know i was following them just for uh fun jump up a you know eight nine foot ledge where i thought the tracks disappeared or he started walking backwards in his own track um i've seen them jump entire roads um late in the season where maybe they knew that somebody was going to follow them if they crossed a road um, I got it. smart. <laughs> yeah, they weren't running. You know, it wasn't long bounds before or after the road. They just chose to jump the whole entire road. And uh, a couple buddies of mine have picked up tracks that way. Um, and yeah, they're just super curious critter. And uh, seeing how a 90 pound female can bring down a bull elk uh, that weighs you know, eight times your body weight, maybe, uh, that's pretty, that's pretty incredible. Um, it's just a lot of adrenaline and I haven't had, uh, I haven't had many, 
uh, experiences that made me overly nervous. Um, and fortunately in the Black Hills, we haven't had a lot of, uh, attacks on people or, you know, lots of dogs and cats go missing and deadwood and spearfish and stuff. But really we, for, for the population we have, we're doing pretty good. Lots of people hiking and doing marathons and stuff in the middle of the night on the Nicholson trail. And, uh, nobody, I mean, I don't think I've heard of an attack, uh, other than maybe once using somebody as a springboard coming out of a hole while they were mountain lion hunting. Yeah. Um, huh. a good friend of mine, Curtis Coombs, uh, he was up shed hunting and, uh, I really think if he wouldn't have done the right thing and acted big and chased after it, uh, that he would have been one of the first attacked in the Black Hills <laughs> in a long time. But it was just a very young cat that saw him wandering around in the woods for a couple hours there. And yeah, a real young cat. Maybe mom got hit by a car or something like that and was struggling, uh, finding food, catching stuff. But uh It's like the one in thing, the one in uh Colorado that made the news exactly. about the guy that got attacked and made a big exactly. deal how he was heroic and fought it off and found it was a thirty six pound <laughs> this, little this cat was yeah. This cat was a lot more than thirty six, but it wasn't a hundred pound <laughs> cat. Yeah. Um and thing made three or four different runs all the way to the, his feet. Um runs at him and uh he actually recorded it um because he knew i wasn't going to believe him um he recorded him chasing this young mountain lion and it would slow down and uh turn around and look at him and he he said it followed him all the way back to the pickup uh kind of a kind of a spooky thing and <laughs> yeah. um he handled it incredible though hmm. That's cool. And I, I would echo the, uh, that just the, the, how majestic or amazing, incredible that animal is. And I've only been able to see, I don't know, four or five critters in the wild. And it's been either just glassing and, Oh, there's one. That's not a deer. That's not an elk. That's, that's got a big tail. And, or I called one in elk hunting, um, having one just all of a sudden just show up in sagebrush where I should have seen it coming. And it just was sitting there looking at me and I was like, Oh my gosh, that's, and I'm sitting there with a bow and I just didn't feel good till I had my hand on my pistol for something. That was probably the first one I had seen besides running in front of the truck. But, just the, that, how stealthy they are and how kind of creepy they are is kind of a cool thing. Cause as soon as I stood up, that cat just crouched right down in between the blades of the grass and was looking at me and he had no fear. Um, I went and woke up my buddy who was, we, he had fallen asleep cause we were set up for just calling elk and we, we'd kind of middle of the day, take a little break and he fell asleep and I went and got him walked back over within 20 yards and said, look, <laughs> the thing's standing there. Look at that thing. And sure enough that it took off, but, uh, kind of just an incredible experience to see, have an interaction with something that could kill you. And, and I know it, it doesn't really want to necessarily just because of the smell. We don't smell right. We're not that, that food, but, um, knowing that it could be top of the 
the food chains kind of gives it that little edge to it. So. Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, somebody gets injured or somebody gets abandoned by mom early on or something. You put that thing between a rock and a hard place. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be the lion over you every time. If, you, <laughs> if you're not ready for that situation or you haven't thought about it in your head, you know? Yeah. So let's get on to some, some methods and techniques of, of how are you doing this? How are guys doing this? How are they, um, being successful without dogs and, and so far, my experiences with dogs, it is go cut a track early in the morning, get the dogs on it and follow it. But, uh, and knowing a little bit about the habitat for sure. So what's, what's your style? Well, um, my style is get out in the dark, uh, three, 4 a.m., uh, drive my favorite roads in rough, rough country and, uh, I will generally always cut a lion track in the first half hour of the day. Um, now I really try and pinpoint where that lion's at, how old the track is. You know, I take a picture of it. I decide how long it's been snowing, if it's still snowing. Um, and then I try and box that cat in um, by the Black Hills is littered with full trails, forest service roads, main roads, highways, um, really easy to, uh, do a, do a loop around that track, taking all the lefts or all the rights and, uh, keeping that cat knowing that he's in a, you know, two and a half by one mile area because you haven't seen any tracks, um, coming out of that area. Now that does get messy, um sometimes but then i uh take off on the track you can't pursue big game animals with artificial light in south dakota um so about 30 minutes before the sun comes up i take off on that track and just real slow and methodical in the beginning because you're you can't see near as good as they can and i've bumped several of them right off the road that i you know i went in there jogging on the track trying to catch up to it and really it was just sleeping on the side of the road pretty much i wish i would have been walking slower had my rifle um and that and that's uh possible to it's not like a coyote i mean if a coyote was right there he'd probably be taken off i'm assuming when you're you find that track are you having to be somewhat stealthy with leaving the vehicle and being kind of quiet or is it just a park alongside that track get out and there i am Versus like a, what a coyote would be. is like, well, I know there's coyotes in this area. I'm going to keep driving and get in there kind of quiet. No, I, uh, I park as close to that track as I can, um, letting everybody else know that I'm pursuing that particular track. So there's no need to follow me in this line up, up oh, in the yeah. woods. Um, a lot of people driving dirt roads in the mornings and the black hills after a fresh snow. So, um, you can stomp out the tracks on the side of the road. So, I mean, everybody knows that's what you're doing. Um, and they, they will either go try and sneak around the backside of that and hope that that you push that cat out and then they jump on the fresher, uh, track from the same cat or they'll just go driving 20 miles down the road and look for a different one. But, uh, I, uh, I haven't been very successful, um, shooting cats in their bed 
on these south facing slopes catching sun um there's several people that do it that way but i am very successful in the calling um calling one in uh it's it's worked for me a lot of times i think i've seen probably 30 35 lions while uh calling and then been on maybe 20 dog hunts and maybe seen 10 15 putting the miles on on the pickup Hmm. uh the calling thing um is most people's go-to uh the so so back up go go, sorry i i interrupted you with a question but so you get on that track because i'm assuming you're going to set up and do some calling after a bit so let's go back to that scenario of you parked you kind of stopped out your track let other hunters know what's going on and now you're sneaking in on that first little bit of light because you don't want to bump it from there absolutely um start out i walk about two 400 yards in on that track if uh if that track is zigzagging and going up and down creeks and around trees and walking on roads and uh i'd call it lollygagging is what i call it if they're if they're in and out of stuff sticking their nose in places uh then i think that cat's hunting most of the time i think that cat's hungry i think that cat is looking for a deer a rabbit whatever he's gonna calf elk and uh that's the cat that you can call in uh that's the cat that's going to be responsive to a call that's the cat that isn't going to gain miles and miles on you as the day goes out um if i jump out and i cut a cat track that looks like it's following a compass if mm-hmm. i can jump out look on a ridge, look on a ridge and see that cat track in on the exact same azimuth 500 yards away going over the next ridge and he didn't go up the drainage down the drainage didn't walk the ridge just went straight over the top of it i've learned my lesson and i ain't following that cat Hmm. Uh, that cat is going somewhere got something important to do Uh, i've never never called one of those cats in and uh, i've never walked one of those out where i got to the end of it and there was a lion on the other end um how, you almost gotta go ahead. How often is and is that a common technique for guys that just walk that track out and find one in the end? I know one guy out of hundreds that is successful doing it. Hmm. Um, he never he doesn't carry a call. He wears a big, huge, heavy, quiet coat. Carries a pistol or a thirty thirty, a bottle of water, and a candy bar. And he just quietly walks on that track all day long. (laughs) And he's caught up with, uh, I would say, 10 10 or 11 lines by now. I could be mistaken there, but at at least 10. My goodness. Um, He's missed several times uh, with a pistol. So, I mean, he's had 15 or more opportunities within – pistol range uh to kill lions just walking on their tracks now we have a pretty dense population of lion tracks as opposed to a lot of other western states but it's still very doable um 
to cut a track, whether in the snow or the mud on the side of the road. Well, you probably just saved myself and a bunch of other listeners days of cat hunting by something that you learned well enough that a cat just trying to get somewhere is not hunt, not that callable. I mean, that's a, that's a huge, that would take a lot of cat tracks to follow to realize and, and cats to call at to realize that that doesn't work. So that, that alone right there is a massive tip. Absolutely. Uh, and that, for the record, that guy that uh, walks him down, he's never following that straight line cat either. Hmm. He's only following a cat that's hunting, going around and stuff, going up and down drainages. Um, he's only following that cat as well. So, yeah, try and stay away from them cats that are just beelining somewhere uh, in a absolutely straight as an arrow line. Huh. Okay. Um, so then, so yeah, back, yeah, go continue on. So back to the track there. Um, I really try and follow a fresh line track, especially if we got, you know, an inch to four inches of fresh powder during the night. Um, I try and take off on a good size line track. They're very deceiving. If you, if you know 100% that the track you're following is the mountain lion, a singular mountain lion, uh, I would encourage you to, and it's fresh, to follow it. Um, the biggest mountain lion I've ever killed was just a medium-sized track. Um, not really, not a giant track, nothing. I, you know, I thought maybe a young male or a mature female, and it ended up being a great tom. Uh, their feet don't keep up with their bodies uh snow sometimes makes it look temperatures have things to do with it i mean sometimes you know that you're following an absolute giant tom but i've seen lots of times where i thought i was following a female or younger cat and it turned out to be a you know 120 pound tom so go ahead and take off after that track if you catch up to him and you don't like him you don't have to shoot him but uh and i would in, encourage in- everybody to in our world, can. in our world, 120 pound cat's a good one versus Colorado cats. I know that 170 is a nice big cat. Is that kind of what you've seen too? Is is a lot of other Western states like Colorado, Absolutely. Wyoming, Montana? Um, but we're throwing that's throwing that dog average in there, hmm. where you get to pull your dogs off the tree if you know it's a hundred pound cat, right. and move on to the next track um those guys are looking at as many tracks as me and they're not going to let their dog go if they know it's not a big you know if it's not a questionably large track they're just not going to let the dogs go they're going to go look for a bigger one and maybe come back to that later in the morning if they don't have a bigger one but um we there is definitely 170 pound cats in the black hills Hmm. uh i I've only seen one that I know is over 160. Um, I've seen him a couple of times, and that same gentleman I was just mentioning, he's missed him a time or two. They <laughs> really do got nine lives. Um, and you've told me how people just miss those things. <laughs> the, the percentage of people that miss mountain lions with a scoped rifle that they would consistently kill a deer at 300 yards west is it's 
mind-blowing. You know, coyotes, we've all missed the easy gimme coyote that came in and surprised us, startled us, whatever. But, I mean, half the people that I take mountain lion hunting, the first time they get one in the scope, they miss. That's a pretty high percentage on shots, hmm. you know, 75 yards or less. Jeez. <laughs> and you're shooting, I mean, they're a big critter, you know. They're, yeah. You're shooting at something the size of a white-tailed doe, and anytime you hit a lion, um, that's you're 95% of the time a, a wounded lion, a poor shot on a lion, you're you're still going to recover that lion. And unfortunately, it might take most of the day, or but you will probably recover that lion. Whereas a deer, uh, they seem deer and elk seem more hardy. Lions are not a very hardy critter. They want to go lick their wound in a hole not very far away from where it happened. So a lot of those cats are getting recovered even with poor shot placement. So back to, we're following a track. All right. We're following a track and, uh, this cat is hunting and we're zigzagging. We're going up and down. He's, he, she's led me to uh, a couple of skeletons, underneath some trees we've seen some uh piss piles or scrapes or uh scat um real quick for those of you that haven't followed a track um you'll learn very fast following a track that it's a really common thing these cats are urinating or defecating on the ground underneath uh usually under cover um just just like a cat prefers a litter box with a lid on it um, cats kind of like a little privacy when they're doing their business and, uh, they'll rough up the pine needles around in the area, just a little paw full of them and urinate on top of that. And then it kind of acts like a car air freshener there, you know, some wind and breeze can come through them pine needles and carry that scent. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, I don't know the rhyme or reason to, uh, when they defecate, whether they're, uh, sometimes they cover it and sometimes they don't. That part I haven't quite figured out yet, but hmm. definitely every time they urinate, they, uh, make a little pile there, uh, out of pine needles. And so, you know, you're following a line real quick if it takes you to a bunch of those. The more of those they're doing, the, f- the more ground you're gaining on that cat. If he's doing that every hundred yards, um, you're covering a lot of ground while he's brushing up pine needles and standing around. Um, those cats are real likely suspects to get a, get to hear some calling pretty soon. Um, now I used to, yeah, when you're coyote hunting, you usually set out in a, on the edge of a meadow or, you know, where you got a lot of thick timber, but they got to come out of it to get to you. Um, so you can pick it up a mile away coming to you. Lion hunting is not going to be like that. I've, I've called in, excuse me, my buddy and me called in one lion, uh, out into the middle of a meadow, young, young Tom, 110 pound Tom. He walked out into this meadow and laid down in the middle of a, you know, field. You'd find deer and elk in the middle of the night and sat out there and just, wagged his tail back and forth laying down in the snow trying to figure out what was making that noise uh 
that guy was later harvested and found out he's 110 pound male but generally these cats have all been called to they've all uh you know a lot of them been shot at and you want to be in the thickest nastiest jungle the exact opposite place that you would ever call a coyote hundred percent opposite um the thicker the timber um the thicker the weeds the thicker the everything um the more likely that cat will come in quickly and and confidently um you don't want that cat to come in real slow and methodically because he's going to pick up you blinking or you turning your head to cough way faster than you're going to pick him up uh sneaking in through the weeds to your position there um you want him barreling in thinking that nothing can see him until he's within 20 yards of it and then uh that seems to work out a lot better for me i tried calling over clearings and canyons and things like that and it it never worked. The only time a cat ever came into me doing that, came up behind me, came into the side of me while I was staring down into a canyon, he'd come up out of it, come all the way behind me in the thick timber, whatever. So uh, I always sit with my back up against a mature tree, just out of caution, I guess, for my back of my neck. <laughs> I don't. I very rarely sit out in the open or something unless there's just nothing but jack pines around or I'm going to get extra wet sitting under jack pines. Um, now, every line in the Black Hills, every line in, the, in these states that you can't use dogs is probably heard fawn in distress, whitetail in distress, cottontail in distress. Um, cats are they got a bigger brain than a lot of other critters out there. Um, I think those animals have all heard that from Lucky Duck, Primos, Fox Pro. And they went in there and there was nothing to eat. There was nothing to, uh, nothing but bullets heading their direction. So I, I think you could get one in doing that, but I think he's going to be more cautious than if you give that cat a sound that he's never heard before. Um, I never, I never play cottontail. I never play rabbit, anything. Um, I'm always playing just weird sounds, raccoon riding a unicorn, uh, <laughs> listening to Metallica. Uh, I mean, anything. All those randoms you, you can download off yep. of Fox pro. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm a Primos guy myself, but just because I've had luck with it, oh, sure. um, Fox Pro and Lucky Duck are phenomenal companies. I've seen lots of coyotes killed with them. Um, yeah, but you, if you go buy the $30 uh, collar from the big superstore there, it only has four or five sounds on it. I'm thinking that lion's probably already heard those sounds. Uh, the more sounds, the better. Uh, if you can get lion sounds on there um i think that's great house cats dogs uh that that lion we called in out in the middle of that meadow came into coyote pup in distress 
right at the end of a long coyote set. Um, like an hour long coyote set, which is very unusual for us to do, but we day was warming up, didn't have anything else to do. Yeah. Um, so then unique sounds, uh, seem to work well. I've played a lot of house cat and distress, you know, sounds like you're drowning the neighbor's tomcat or they're getting <laughs> in a fight, but it doesn't sound anything like a mountain lion. Um, well, that's what some of those diet studies showed is, in the stomachs of mountain lions, when they SDSU did those diet studies way back when with GFP, it was house cats and porcupines were like number one and two thing that was in each the remnants or whatever was in each stomach of those mountain lions. So that totally makes sense. I love that. <laughs> I love that they're eating house cats. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm I'm a I know I'm a terrible podcaster bouncing back and forth here, but. I do want to talk about that for a second. The Black Hills, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, all the old-timers that I hang out with, they said the Black Hills had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of porcupines. You couldn't go yeah. you couldn't go for a drive in the hills and not have a porcupine blocking the road or, you know, see a couple of them in the tree while you're glassing. Or, um, and that was back before, when they were giving those deer tags away uh, over the counter. Well, they got rid of over-the-counter deer tags, and the population still suffered for a couple of years there. Um, there's no other explanation for why there's not any porcupines in the Black Hills other than simply More mountain lions. lions. Not yeah. coyotes, not bobcats, mountain lions. It's have pretty much made uh, porcupines in the Black Hills extinct. Um, on They're the edges of the Black Hills... Their kills is really cool to see one of the kills because it's like flipped over and then it's like they paw out the belly and everything. I, I found one and I was like, what? And I'm just seeing like someone skinned a porcupine is what it looked like. But Incredible. They just, you saw that personally? Yes. Yeah. Incredible. Um, in Colorado. But had seen that and then there was cat scat all around. It was like, okay. This thing had a meal right here, and it took me a little bit to put everything together. And I, I'd have to say it could have been a bear too in that same situation. But either way, it was a predator flipping that thing over because I saw it hide side up, and it's like someone skinned a porcupine in the middle of the woods on a thick timbered area that wouldn't make any sense for it to be there. And you could see those scratch marks in the hide, and everything else is gone. It's just the skin part, which I suppose that makes sense. They take a take a couple of wounds to get it and take a couple of quills, but they they flip it over and then bam, that's where the it's sensitive and easy meal after that. That is so cool. I'm about a hundred percent certain that what you found was a, a lion kill. They're a lot more surgical um than a bear. Hmm. Uh I think that is so cool now real quick do you think do you think he knocked him out of the tree or do you think he caught him on flat ground and then flipped him? could have been either way um okay just because it, it, i'm gonna i'm gonna go with just this is straight guess i'm gonna go with he just caught up to him on the ground um because most of the porcupines i've seen in that country are i mean it's shorter i think where i was at was was a lot of oak brush and maybe he climbed up in there and knocked him out. But, uh, 
be hard for a cat to get in some of that wispy yeah. oak brush stuff. Yeah. So either way, it, I that was and that's probably eight years ago now. I wish I probably got a picture somewhere down somewhere deep deep in a in a hard drive of. I remember taking a picture or on an old phone somewhere, but well, that's very cool. Yeah, I should I should dig that up. But yeah, anyway, I'd love sorry. To see it someday. Yeah, you're saying um, around the hills. So yeah, there's just no porcupines uh, in the hills on the edges of the hills. Um, I've seen lots of porcupines on the prairie and anything where there's uh, you know low odds of seeing a mountain lion. You know, when you're not in the thick stuff, you can see a porcupine. But if you're in that thick stuff, uh, you're you're not going to find a porcupine. And there's five guys listening to this that maybe have seen one in the hills in the last 10 years, but you go out on the prairie and I can shoot five a day during West river deer season. No problem. Uh, so there's just way more out on the prairie than there is, uh, mm-hmm. in the hills. But anyway, so fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Calling these cats a unique sound, There's that's key. Um, now volume uh lots of guys coyote hunting start quiet in case something's there they uh they generally work their way up to maybe 30 40 percent volume depending on wind and how loud everything else is around but no nobody that i've ever coyote hunted with and been successful was playing that call on volume 80 or 100 percent you know um Lions don't care, uh, in my opinion. Uh, so you're blasting get, that thing. I'm blasting it. I am volume 80 to start out, even if I think that freshest track ever, uh, you know, probably just walked across the road in between me and the vehicle right in front of me. Um, I'm blasting that sound at 80% or higher every time. Uh, I want that sound to bounce off every canyon wall, every drainage, um, as far as it can. And that has turned a lot of cats around from wherever they were going. Uh, what made me do that is, uh, loggers probably see more mountain lions than anybody. Um, loud logging operations and chainsaws getting run all over. Cats are constantly just hanging out, watching people cut wood, mark trees, bang hammers, run equipment. Um, it's a sound they haven't heard. Uh, they're wondering what this person's doing. Yeah. It's not, it's not a, 
natural sound by any means. It's not anything, and it's really loud and echoey and mechanical. And uh, They don't care. They come right over and sit 100 yards away and watch people cut wood. Uh, so I, first time I called one in, it was very, very loud, and I was playing it right over the edge of a canyon pretty much, and that cat came from, I would say, over a mile away and took him 40 minutes to come in. Uh, just on a walk, a brisk walk on the way back faster than he, faster than he was going away from me. Um, but it was the playing a unique sound, playing it very, very loud and playing it in the thick, thick cover are absolutely crucial in my opinion to being successful on foot, uh, calling in mountain lines. So it sounds like, you are playing, reading a track more than even like the habitat around you. It's like, yes, you want to be in that thick stuff, but it seems at what point of following that track are, I need to sit my butt down and start calling. Um, if I, if, if I'm on the fence about how fresh it is, or I know it's very fresh, I'm going to, I'm going to sit down in the first you know, big, thick, nasty area I can and let that call blast for 40 minutes to an hour. Um, I'm an inpatient guy and it's usually really cold sitting in the snowdrift calling mountain lions. Um, I've never been on a coyote set other than that hour long one that we called in a lion, uh, that was over 20 minutes, maybe. Um, Lions, I've only seen three mountain lions come in in less than 20 minutes. Hmm. Um, a majority of these cats are coming in in that 30 minutes to an hour range. And sometimes it's fast. Uh, but I think the speed that they come in is uh, when they are trying to close the distance on whatever it is they think is making that noise uh that's my opinion. I think they're, uh, I think they're, when they hear that sound, they don't turn around and just come sprinting right at it. I think they take their time and figure out a good route to get there, knowing that it's still going to be there. But, uh, you, but that when they are closing that distance, they're, they're, a lot of them are moving pretty yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. I've, th- those three that I was telling you about that seemed like they heard the call and they must have been right in front of us, just out of sight. I mean, you know, we were just sitting down, getting comfortable, pulling stuff out of our bag, and holy cow, uh, <laughs> that happened real, real fast. And two of those guys uh, didn't get the cat and got some good clean shots off at a cat, stopped it, you know, 75 yards or less. <laughs> um, it's, it's a rush, but... um that plane for an hour I think is, is important. And then I'm going to walk another mile maybe, uh, where I'm thinking I'm out of that, you know, chance of that call getting to that cat. Once I get another mile in there, the next time I get to a thick timber spot, I'm going to try it again. Um, I'm going to keep, keep after that cat until noon or one, probably, um, where I'm worried about not making it back to the pickup before dark. And uh, it works well for me, but 
don't you know don't let that discourage you i wish everybody even you know people that are out of shape or disabled or you can you can cut a track crossing the road walk in there 50 yards sit your butt down and blast that call and uh i've seen people kill cats doing that uh i've seen people get out to look at a track look up the hill and it's sitting up on a south facing slope at 10 a.m looking at them driving by you know looked at four cars driving right by and uh walked back to their pickup get the rifle close the door walk into the ditch and shot their first mountain lion mm-hmm. um getting out there is is obviously number one for uh killing a mountain lion without dogs uh you can't can't kill one sitting at your house so if everybody would go try it um and listen to some tips and tricks i I think that quota would get met year after year. And uh, then we wouldn't have to have these discussions of dogs in or out of the state park here in South Dakota. But yeah. Um, uh, In the process of pursuing, how quiet are you in, in, I mean, if I were following it, just tracking down an elk or a a deer and I would Compared to like say, deer hunting, I would say way less quiet than deer hunting, um, unless I think I'm in the same jack pine thicket as that particular cat. Okay. Um, you know, if you're walking across some pretty open, clear cut area on crunchy snow, I mean, I'm I'm gonna hoof it. I'm gonna be covering a lot of ground until I get to the next thick area that I might have a chance of calling that cat in. Um, and you know, you're constantly breaking tree branches and stepping where you shouldn't step, you know, it's snow covered, it's cold. You've got a gun hanging over the top of your bag and stuff like that. It's, but that gentleman that I said has killed 10 plus with a pistol or a 30, 30, um, he doesn't carry a pack. He's got a water bottle, a Snickers bar, pistol, and a big coat. Um, so he's a lot quieter. I've been with him and he walks slower than me. He's, you know, he's in his fifties and, uh, he walks really slow and tries to look at where the cat's going and he might go around, you know, cut a couple hundred yards off of a walk going down into a drainage by going around the drainage. But he's very, very quiet. Um, I'm not, I think most of the cats that I'm calling in are, out of earshot of a twig break or a cough or any of them little sounds that people are worried about making in the woods. I'm not particularly worried about it. Have you ever backtracked a track that you, after calling one in just to go see what that cat did, you called one in or you shot one. What'd you find out? Um, that he had gone over to a, kill that was basically nothing left uh that cat had walked over to a white-tailed buck that he had killed and uh there wasn't nothing but bones and a little bit of dry rib meat and stuff to chew on i mean it was basically a skeleton at this point and it was uncovered um lions will i'm just gonna say always cover up a kill Anytime they kill something, they're going to cover it with pine needles, branches, snow, dirt, 
anything they can get their paws on um, to prevent the birds from finding it, which in turn prevents the coyotes from finding it. Um, if you are following a lion track and you come across a deer that has, you know, the couple inches of spine ripped out, the testicles and wiener or the uh, tits ripped off or something like that, um, that's a probably a lion um sometimes you can see a slash mark or a catch claw on a hind hip but if you see that um you either just interrupted that cat's meal or you spooked it while he was getting ready to bury it um or somebody else recently did that cat's probably very close by and really wants to get back to that deer um, I guess that can kind of lead us into the next uh, form of killing lions without dogs is sitting on a kill. Um, I'd say one out of three lion tracks that I follow for more than a mile are going to take me to either a dead deer, dead elk. Um, it might only be a skeleton with nothing to eat left, but if it takes you to a buried fresh whitetail that only has one quarter missing, that lion's going to want to come back and eat on that um, every single time. Uh, they probably don't go very far away. Um, I've seen I've seen a big tom spend four days in a jack pine thicket the size of a football field and never leave. To until he ate the entire whitetail. Now, that seems unusual. Uh, out of all the other ones I found, the cat's well out of sight, um, you know, a mile away, half a mile away, something like that. And sometimes these big toms will kill something early, early morning, eat on it, bury it, and they will go for a 10-mile walk during the day marking their territory, looking for females, doing that kind of stuff. And then about dark, start heading back to to their kill and go munch on it some more. And you're probably going to catch them on that kill first thing in the morning, late in the evening, getting to that kill first thing in the morning, uh, right as the sun's coming up. Pretty unlikely, even if you know right where it's at. If he's eating on it in the dark, you're... Um, I tell people, you know, head back to town, go grab your stuff, go grab some more warm clothes, something to sit on, and sit as far away from that thing as you feel comfortable and just make sure you're there in the last two, three hours of daylight. And a lot of those people have been successful. Hmm. And it is, it's important. I mean, you better stay, till, you better have your phone out looking till the last one minute of legal shooting light. A lot of times is when that cat, comes in i've seen that two or three different times where it was literally the last minute of legal shooting light that that cat came into the kill and um very successful lots of people kill cats that way uh requires some patience and some more warm clothes than calling one in um i carry maybe we can talk about some stuff i bring with me yeah uh, absolutely pretty much crucial that you have uh, four-wheel drive, um, 
ropes, chains, toe straps, uh, full tank of gas, uh, extra food, extra water. Um, I carry extra batteries. I carry a game camera on me in case I do find one of those kills. And uh, I want to see what kind of cat's eating on that during the night. And when I come back in the morning, I'll check that and see if it's kittens or I'm not trying to kill a mom with three 20-pound kittens. You know, if it's a single, big, mature pumpkin head calm, I'm going to spend a lot more time sitting around that kill that day or in the next coming days than I would if I seen kittens come to eat on it, you know. Um, game cameras save you a ton of uh a ton of work, ton of leg work. And finding a kill, though, if I were to go set off today, not today because it's negative 13 at my house, <laughs> but if I were to go searching for a kill today, what – I don't feel like I would find one today or tomorrow or any – like how – is that just like you out stumbling upon one or following a track and then you come up to one? Yep. That's um, the following the track and getting getting on a – cap that way okay i think yeah it's always going to be um unless you are one lucky dude uh yeah. it's going to be it's going to be following a cat um the cat track led you to a big pile of pine needles or branches or in between two down logs a lot of times they'll put them in there um that's usually how you're going to find this but i can tell you that if you went and walked through a jack pine, you know, a, a big, big forested area, you know, a lot of lion activity, and you went walking through a jack pine thicket, you would find, in a day's walk, and you'd definitely find six or seven white-tailed deer underneath trees, uh, underneath trees that have been, that were lion kills at one time, until they ate most of them, and then now they still come back to those spots, and mark their territory, make sure another lion hasn't been snooping around on their kill. If if they had a kill from five years ago on that uh, on their route that they're walking, if it's not more than a couple hundred yards out of the way, they'll almost always go down to something they've killed and go check it out, see what's going on. Uh, and if all the parts are pretty much there, um, a lot of times I decide that that's a lion kill. Um, you might not see the pile of pine needles anymore. You might not see the lion tracks or the scat laying under the tree next to it. Um, but, you know, a lot of times I've seen coyotes packing deer legs and their necks and carcasses dragging them across roads. And lions aren't doing that. They, they're they staying in that little quiet dining room area there eating it till there's nothing left and then they'll leave it exposed that last time so the birds and coyotes can have their way with it but um yeah it's pretty uh pretty interesting the the kills uh they've i've seen them drag elk a quarter of a mile to get them out of a meadow um you know jumped on one in the thick timber it took them out into a meadow, they wrestled around, killed it, and they had to get that. They wouldn't they wouldn't eat on it out in that meadow. They before the sun comes up, they're getting it into the trees or trying their best. 
and there's exceptions to all this obviously but sure. most of the time they're putting it in the timber you know away from a road or away from what they think is a road and uh so they can just sit there and eat on it and feel safe yeah so they can yep so they can eat on it in private and feel safe um same thing with the bathroom thing like we talked about earlier it's it's really cool stuff and every i don't think i've ever followed a lion track and not learned something about either that particular cat or uh cats in general uh i would say I have probably 10 mountain lions right now that are, I know where they go, what they're doing, how many days between crossing this road and this road. Uh, and you spend a winter taking all your days off and going up there and learning. Uh, I don't even have to, I don't, I can do 40 mile an hour on the fresh snow and not look at any coyote tracks, bobcats, elk nothing i just head straight to where i'm looking for this cat to cross this road this morning and uh a lot of times that works out and if it don't then i got nine more to go look for and they they're crossing these roads and in the same spots that's another thing i guess i should talk about when you're looking for these tracks if you see a lion cross a road uh in a particular spot um that's going to be a hot spot until that lion's dead or gets run off. Um, sometimes multiple cats will use the same spot, but generally one cat picks a route and he's walked that route and he's been successful on that route. And now that's where he's going to cross that road every time. And he'll go way out of his way to cross that road in that spot. Hmm. So um, if, if I had, and this could be multiple situations, a rancher, a landowner, or just even in my situation, I live up in the hills little ways. We know of a mountain lion that's around or a rancher landowner knows of a mountain lion that's around and it's not conducive to going and driving a road necessary. I suppose you could box it in like you're saying, but it's a pretty big area and it may not have to cross any roads for a, a little while, but I kind of feel like maybe after each snow, I run up on the hill and see if it's crossed a place where I've caught it on camera multiple times. Um, it hasn't been since September. I caught it multiple times, August and September on camera. And um, my neighbor saw it stocking up on a turkey in November during deer season. But all in that general area. Is it worth it to to be kind of checking a certain area where you know there is a cat like that or would you be hunting those roads or trails trying to just find that track where it crosses personally um i think this is great advice uh personally if there's fresh snow um then you need to focus your time on those roads preferably in the dark uh wake up a couple hours early the tracks are way easier to see in the dark, your headlights pick up mm -hmm. line tracks like crazy. It looks like a Clydesdale walked across the road. Yeah. Um, if, if there's no snow and you got the day off and you want to kill a mountain lion, absolutely uh, get off the road, the, the road that's been plowed and go up into where you've been successful seeing line tracks, getting them on camera. The neighbors have seen them. Um, you know, that snow lasts a lot longer than the snow on the roads. Um, that snow is a lot 
uh, virgin snow, then all the deer and turkeys and everything running up and down the ditches and all that stuff. So it's a lot easier to, uh, but also if there's no fresh snow and you cut that track, it's harder to gauge how long, how old that track is. But if he has a kill or she has a kill up there, um, why would she go anywhere? You just mentioned that she probably didn't have to cross a road because it's a big area. So then you turning the call on in there and that lion realizing that he's only got five pounds of deer meat left on that kill could be very, uh, very rewarding. Um, but if, if there's fresh snow, um, I'm spending my time in the dark on the roads for sure. Uh, even though it only takes 30 minutes to walk up that ridge and back to see if he's been there or not. Um, that's, you know, 20 miles of, of driving for a lion track, getting it, staying ahead of somebody else that's looking for him and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think you should spend all your time on the roads if it's dark out or, okay. um, and then yeah, if things don't pan out nine, 10 AM and you want to do another set before you go home, and, yeah, climb up on that ridge and let that call rip for an hour and then pack it up. Uh, it, it happens all the time. People, uh, people that don't even they can't find the lion track they're they're in areas that yeah the lion's so thick and so many animals that they don't have to cross roads to kill deer get away from people um they just turn their call on in the woods sit there for an hour and shot their first mountain lion uh that's fantastic um i'm not that lucky it took a long time for me to get the hang of it and in the last three years i've really really thought i got the hang of it uh i took three different people out in a seven day period all three got shots at mountain lines um um and those lions back to the road thing um crossing the roads in the same spots people are like well maybe it's just different cat maybe it's just a game trail it's usually not a game trail um they're usually crossing the road near a game trail or um in a spot you know sometimes they want to come off of a cliff and they you know it's a hundred foot cliff they can't they have to take the shoot down it like the deer and the elk do but once they get anywhere flatter they're going to take a different route across the road um if it's wide open on both sides, clear cut, um, very rarely are you going to cut a lion track in that area. If you have all that clear cut where there's elk and deer feeding all night long, all day, you know, wintering ranges, um, then you, once those trees start getting right next to the road into the timber, that's where you're going to cut lion tracks. Um, anytime there's, trees really close to both sides of the road they they have to have that cover um unless they were sneaking around in a meadow in the middle of the night it's just really rare that you're going to find that broad daylight or uh cut them tracks in there because even at night they've they seem to like now the mickelson trail if you're in the black hills is a phenomenal place to start if you don't have a four-wheel drive or whatever um I don't think there's very many times that it snows an inch or more that you could walk 
three miles down any direction of any segment of the Mickelson and not cut a fresh line track. Hmm. Um, it was the old railroad bed, you know, and they, it's perfect for, you know, it's cleared out right there. You can see, um, get a good, uh, get a good clean track on that flat Mickelson trail and know which way he's going for sure. Uh, sometimes when it snows a foot, it's hard to tell which way a lion's going. Uh, you can't see the bottom of the track. It's all blowed in, snowed in. I mean, it's really tough to tell, but that Mickelson trail is, or a road is another reason why you're spending time on there. Cause you can easily tell which, which way that cat's going. Right. Hmm. And, uh, I would, these guys out here listening to this, I would spend some time looking at a cat track on the internet, take a picture of it, save it on your phone. Uh, there's, in the last five years of being on that Facebook page, I bet I've seen a hundred posts of people being like, yep, got on my first lion track today, went right through my neighbor's backyard and then, uh, into his house. That's crazy, huh? <laughs> um, you know, a, a German shepherd, a big mature dog. Uh, lots of people are posting pictures saying they found a mountain lion track in their neighbor's backyard and it's just their dog. Uh, it's and you know it's we we're really nice to them uh we don't we're not making fun of them or nothing but we you know try and gently as we can let them know that that's a that's definitely a dog track not a not a lion and i've had some questionable tracks uh i'd say i mix up elk tracks and lion tracks more than uh more than a, a dog um lion tracks are very linear um if you google or get on any of that stuff and look up lion tracks there'll probably be a picture of some going walking down a road in some snow and uh it's very unique how linear they are their back feet are stepping where their front feet were and so they're not like a a dog or uh big game animal other big game animals that you know kick a leg out or don't walk in their exact same tracks unless it's really deep snow or I wasted mule deer. I yeah. wasted some time on a on an elk track that I thought was a cat track in deep yeah, snow because we thought it was it was moving. It was dray or its body was cutting some of that. I'm like, oh, that's that's got to be that. But then, should I known or I should have known that? Well, there was no tail in that deep of snow. There should have been a tail drag mark or something like that because it was pretty um, deep. Yeah, in the really really deep snow. Uh, you're, you're correct. Uh, you'll see, you'll see a tail touch the snow, whether he stepped off a rock or something. A lot of times you will see that, but don't, don't rely on that one. Uh, I would say that I've seen cats, uh, walking in the deep snow and their tail wasn't straight up in the air, but I mean, it was a perfect quarter moon up to keep, keep their tail out of the snow. They didn't one at dragging in the snow or they were uh letting other cats know that they were there whatever they were doing they were keeping their tail out of a pretty deep snow you know over a foot um but yeah if you're in that two and a half feet um you're gonna see belly and you're gonna see their knuckles dragging as they try and pick their foot up out of the snow even if they lift it almost straight up you're still gonna get some of that that you wouldn't see in an elk track for sure would you say that 
and I and I kind of think it is, but love to hear your opinion. Would you say all a lot of this is all transferable to those areas where you really couldn't box in a cat? Hundred um, percent. It just seems like it doesn't matter if there's if it's wilderness area. <laughs> I mean, you're going to spend Absolutely. a lot a lot more time walking, but trying to follow a trail and cut it. But in any of the the more western states where it's huge tracts of land and there's still there's still trails and all kinds of things. That's what we used to do in Colorado is, is get on trails and drive them in that early morning and just try and cut tracks that way. Uh, but I, I don't think it'd be any different than what, what's in your playbook, uh, after no. cutting the track. The box and the box and the cat in is just making sure I didn't waste two miles. If, uh, if I had more motivation or, uh, you know, uh, I'm in pretty good shape. I try and run lots and carry lots of elk out in the fall so that I can go all day doing that kind of stuff. But, um, if, if you're limited on physical ability, then maybe boxing that cat is more important to you. But, um, there's a lot of places like you're talking on these Western States where cats aren't going to cross 10 roads in a day. You're lucky they crossed one. Mm -hmm. Um, well then in that case, yeah, you better get out there and, um, it, you might have to walk, two four miles further to call that cat in but you know these cats aren't doing 100 miles a day it might seem like it when you're walking over all the downfall and stuff um another thing i'd like to talk about maybe you have some experience in it if you've been hound hunting before uh big toms the bigger the cat uh the more miles in a day he's going to cover but the easier the walking is um, just cause a cat walked down a forest service road for three miles, uh, that doesn't make it a Tom in my opinion at all. Uh, I just think it was dark and he wanted to take the easy way, but I'd say, big, I'd, I'd say based on the studies that I've read on that is you've got females who have a smaller home range than a male and he's got to cover that ground to check his home range. So he obviously has to put in those more miles and that, that would that would be a mature cat that has a home range versus a sub-adult who just doesn't is still working on establishing that home range he's getting kicked out by the big toms or the mature ones so i i, I would say that would make perfect sense to me that they're going to cover more absolutely um i i that plays into it and i think maybe even a little bit of uh that 160 pound tom there's nothing in the woods except uh Skylar Burke that's going to give him a bad day. Um, <laughs> yeah. and he probably don't know it and it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so, uh, the, I don't think they care walking in daylight on bigger game trails, the Mickelson trail, bike paths, um, things like that in the Hills, any, you know, flatter ridge tops, uh, flat stuff, slightly more open stuff. All the big toms that I've followed uh, seem to do that more. And I think, I think you're right. I think it plays into, well, they have to take the easier route to cover all that ground. And I also think it's that they don't care who sees them or if another lion sees them because uh, they're not going to lose or uh, I think you're right. That's uh, if you, and then that same cat, that big Tom, when he crossed, uh, 
one of my favorite cats to follow around. He he walks on a a hiking trail, like a pretty wide hiking trail. You can take two dirt bikes on it. It might be pretty hairy on a four wheeler, but I'm never going to get my pickup on there, and obviously can't. But it's a big trail, and uh, about every three days he crosses that road. 90% of the time going in one direction and uh he beelines out of there and for miles out into this pretty pretty clear-cut area there's some there's some thickets and stuff that the loggers missed but generally it's pretty uh open pretty good you know elk hunting it looks pretty elky and stuff like that instead of so much what i'm talking about with the really thick nasty uh stuff and i haven't I haven't cut him off yet. I've seen him when the season wasn't open and I've got lots of pictures of him the same day I was on his tracks, but I haven't had him in the scope yet, but we got a date this winter. Yep. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Another thing I'd like to talk about real quick, if you don't mind, yeah, is absolutely. Uh, these, uh, these cats are constantly uh, going in and out of, holes mine shafts uh we're fortunate enough to live in the black hills where there's a ton of mining operations natural caverns uh different terrain features slash piles are great um sometimes slash piles have a natural little one-way tunnel in them uh, that a cat can get out of uh right now the weather in the black hills is with the wind chill approaching negative 30 um now elk and deer and all those hard footed animals um they don't they don't care they just got to get the calories in when it's like this um a mountain lion can't can't be walking around for 10 miles a day in negative 30 um their feet are too soft their their body temperature melts uh melts in that fur on their paws there and they just would build up big icicles on their feet and it you know they surely get frostbit just like your dog um, your dog just like, like your dog doesn't want to be outside too terrible long because his, and his no, feet get loves, chapped and yep um a guy taught me this two years ago um he goes he he looks for days like today to go lion hunting uh because the cat's not one, moving i suppose <laughs> one nobody's out there and two if you cut a track you don't have to follow it, but a mile and it's going to take you to a mine shaft, a hole, uh, and something like that. And, uh, and he's killed almost all his cats in shallow dens, in little caves, uh, mine shafts, things like that. And, uh, you want to talk about adrenaline? Um, <laughs> that's pretty exciting stuff. Calling one in when you're, you're, knowing that you know you're planning on him coming to you but if you're walking around and all of a sudden you come around the corner of a tree and you see a the lion tracks going one way into a hole in the side of the mountain you know he's in there and you're following a big track uh, that could get really exciting really fast and they they don't like being cornered or followed into those uh a lot of times they have a, a way out on another end or something like that. So be aware of that, but obviously focus on the, the hole that he went in. That's number one, <laughs> but keep your eyes out for, um, other exits and stuff like that, where he might try and sneak out and just casually walk 
away while you're trying to crawl in that hole and spook him out. Uh, <laughs> I've seen, I've seen, uh, um, or heard of, uh, many stories of that was going, that's where the, the pistol comes in handy where they're shooting it with a pistol or, um, I know there's, I found a, a den and a place where we had our cabin once up by Deadwood and he, uh, I found that den and later on the next like two years, I'd seen that red dot on the map of cat killed there, <laughs> red dot on the map. So I think multiple cats got killed out of that den or that hole in the whatever. And I don't know if I got the cojones to, <laughs> to follow oh. one in. Cause there's, it doesn't matter if it's in the middle of summer, those caves that you run into, yeah, I'm a wuss. I am not a, I don't like caves. I don't like, like any of that. It's dark and spooky. and ugh. Naturally, I don't think anybody should like that stuff. Uh, <laughs> I I crawl into a lot of them in the summertime and stuff and put uh, game cameras in them. If I followed a lion into there, um, a lot of times I will put a, put a game camera on it for the summer. And they walk in there and they they walk right back out. Uh, it's warm out. Um, these, a lot of people think that they're, uh, a cat has a, a house, you know, um, your cabin up there in Deadwood that you're talking about. Um, a lot of times those people are killing a cat that's getting out of the wind or, you know, a big female that is looking for a place to, you know, have kittens or something. But as far as like a hard den, um, you know, sometimes my people get a hold of me on the internet and they're like, Oh yeah, I got this cat den that I found three years ago and I'm just going to sit outside of it all winter long and shoot one. Uh, that, that probably isn't going to work. If you, if you were there the whole time, you might get to see a couple, but, um, following tracks into them is a lot more successful or, um, knowing that these storms, uh, that guy I was telling you about, he if he doesn't cut any tracks, he drives, puts on 100 miles in the morning. And if he doesn't cut a track, then he starts going to all those holes and tunnels that are nearby roads that he's been to. And he'll peek his head in there. And uh, about half the cats he shot weren't even on tracks. He was just sticking his head in a hole that he knew lions used during blizzards. So blizzards, you know, deep snow, high winds, sub-zero temperatures. He loves that stuff. That's his, he wishes the season was open right now. Cause he, he'd probably already have a 150 pound cat. Dead. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's very cool. I'd be, I'd be careful and, uh, doing that. Make sure that you think you're following a single lion. Um, I think game fishing parks would make every effort if you did kill a female and you were following one lion led you into a hole and you shot it and ended up having kittens. I think they'd make every effort to rehabilitate or relocate um, those kittens if you were aware of that and let them know um, that, you know, you were trying to do the right thing. Um, in South Dakota, you know, we have that law uh, for all those guys listening that we're not allowed to follow multiple cat tracks uh, for any reason if you see two cats no matter how big they look how fresh they look uh, whether one looks old one looks new um you cannot pursue multiple cats uh 
multiple cat tracks that you suspect is from the same day or whatever. So that's, that's just kind of a little, uh, cushion there so that we're not killing, uh, moms with a single kitten or a semi-mature kitten that still needs some, uh, refining in the hunting killing skills. Um, and then that lets us keep hunting cats, uh, with our feet without dogs for another year every time we don't. And we've had very few incidents in South Dakota of that. Uh, you know, um, there might be a few more incidents than you or me get to hear about, but a lot of people that kill cats call me and tell me the story and how it went down. And, um, and so I have heard a couple of stories of kittens. Um, one of my favorite ones was we, drove a road in the dark one of my favorite roads drove it uh no cat tracks so drove all around good fresh snow no cat tracks anywhere um weather was good sunshiny bluebird day uh should be cat tracks everywhere from the dark or from the night before uh very few um old old ones nothing that we wanted to follow so i was like well let's just drive all the same roads again drove them again and uh found where a deer had been dragged across the road since we were just there three hours ago. Um, this is ideal situation. Like we're obviously going to kill a lion here. Uh, can't mess this up. We (laughs) jump out of the pickup. Can't see the, can't see the lion tracks. All you see is blood and hair and something heavy getting drug across the road. Uh, well, there's a cliff on one side, almost a cliff in in somebody's backyard pretty much and uh i'm like well obviously he drug the deer down into that those jack pines down there and he's eating on it right now i'm gonna go down there real slowly with my rifle walk down there i'm trying to get my buddy a cat and i was like you you keep an eye out and i'll try and point to it whatever if i see him but he's probably down there eating on it or burying it right now well I get 300 yards down this cliff and realize that there was a white-tailed doe bedded right there and a lion had come from the rim of that cliff, saw her, smelled her sleeping down there, snuck up behind her, grabbed all of her neck. She kicked and flailed for only a couple seconds. There was only a little bit of a disturbance in the snow there. And then she drug that uh, deer straight up a cliff and across the road in front of my pickup. And I'm like, well, this has to be a giant Tom. Nothing, you know, only a 160 pound cat could drag a 200 pound whitetail up this face. <laughs> uh, I'm using my hands and knees to get up it back to the pickup. Uh, we get up there, walk the tracks the other way, very cautiously into a slightly more open area, less, less timber, less, but obviously no houses. And, uh, we see multiple sets of lion tracks going up and down this drainage. And it looks like one cat had gone up, down, up, down, up, down. And I'm guessing she's uh, gone to eat on it a couple of times and hurt my pickup and left and then came back or whatever. Um, I don't know where this deer is at, but it's in the head of this really nasty little drainage that you can see everything around. So we're just, we're not even going to go mess with the deer. We're just going to sit there and shoot this cat when it is leaving 
my buddy very comfortable shooting 600 yards tripod everything gun clamped in set down and uh it's going to be a 300 yard shot probably and he's very comfortable with that and uh we i'm unzip my bag to pull my little pad that i sit on out and uh i'm pulling that out and i look over my shoulder and three kittens came walking up out of that drainage and walked right up to us about 50 yards away and you know, you know, stuck their paws over the edge of the log and kind of barked at us there for a minute. And then two of them ran back into the, into the jack pines there where I'm sure mom was. And then uh, one of them went back down there like he was going to protect the, the deer from us. We sat there and watched them for 45 minutes probably. And it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Uh, once they leave, we walked down there and looked at that white tail doe. Uh, I'd say a yearling doe, not a fawn, not a big mature doe. Um, I bet there wasn't five pounds of meat left on that. My gosh. Um, so mom and three kittens that were probably in that 50 pound range, they still had spots, but they were, you know, they were athletic little boogers. They weren't little cotton balls. They were, they were athletic little boogers. And uh, the four of them cleaned out all four quarters, all the back straps, all the vital organs and most of the neck of a, you know, that 150 pound doe. It was my goodness. Just it was it down. Yeah. And I was sure that that was a tongue, you know, by yeah. dragging it up that cliff and it was just a good mom. And, mm-hmm. uh, what she had been doing is she'd gone down that drainage to get, get her kittens. And, uh, I tried to get better pictures of her that winter I farted around in that drainage a lot, trying to get pictures of all four of them walking up and down. And I ended up getting a few of them on a, I don't know, I found a deer that an archery hunter had killed or something, made a bad shot. And uh, they weren't eating on it, but they were fascinated with this deer that was just laying in the middle of this drainage and nothing had touched it, no coyotes or nothing. Every couple of days they'd walk by it. I ended up getting some pretty cool pictures of them, but. Uh, yeah, what an incredibly strong animal being able to do something like that. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, pr- probably a pretty good story to end on right there. And, uh, kind of one to... quick, one more no. quick thing. Sorry, Go. Boss. Go. Uh, as far as, um, a lion rifle, uh, oh, I yeah. shot, good call. I shot my first, uh, big Tom with a two Oh four or no, excuse me, two twenty swift. Um, that, bullet hit a pencil sized twig on the way there and pretty much sheared the whole jacket off it. The lead slug went into his throat at about 20 yards maybe. And, uh, I followed that cat for five more hours. Um, and dang near got eaten when I got to the end of the tracks. Um, you want a, 243 308 um something that you can throw a 100 grain bullet doesn't have to be a doesn't have to be a fast coyote rifle varmint rifle uh short rifle um you don't need a long range long barrel heavy gun you want a light gun 100 grain bullet or more that you're super comfortable shooting with a very minimal scope if you're going to use a scope at all um a lever action 3030 would be a phenomenal uh, lion gun. I use a 280 AI now, but 
Um, I have a three by 18 and it's constantly on three power. Um, I've never needed more than three power for any lion shot that I've ever seen had been around. Um, don't, don't go take your six, five target rifle and leave it on 24 power. Cause you can shoot a thousand yards. Uh, that's not going to work. And don't take your AR that you, uh, throwing a 40 55 grain bullet at a mountain line um you want a big bullet uh put a big hole in it and uh i hope everybody out there uh gives it a whirl and i hope uh i hope you guys get a hold of me and tell me some stories about how this uh, helped or worked or other tips and tricks that'd be awesome yeah absolutely no you know what's funny while we're sitting here i went and bought my malign tech <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of that I need to uh, do that too. Um, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, uh, Skyler Burke on Facebook or Sodak Outdoorsman on Instagram, and I would absolutely love to hear any and all lion stories. Uh, you can give me a phone call. That'd be be awesome. Yep, and I'll link those uh, your profile and or, or put that down below in the show notes. So that's there. People get a hold. I of sure you. appreciate that. Yeah, no, because that you're it's really cool that you got this collection of info and things to share out and yeah you've got your definite your fair share of stories and experiences that you've learned but man how do you learn a crap ton from everyone else i'm sure oh yeah if you know some of it was trial and error but i'd say more than half of it was from going out with those three four guys that uh are killing one every year so uh if we could have this again or uh, people gave you a bunch more questions or good feedback, uh, I'd love to uh, do it again, talk about some other stuff. But I know we've been on here for a while. No, that's all right. I actually have to go to work, sadly. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> I know. But it's uh, work today is processing deer. So that's all I have oh, to Oh, that's not so bad. No, no. And uh, I've done it a lot this year, but. I think these deer, all I got to do is quarter and send home. So not a, not a big deal at all, but tough days work. <laughs> but, well, uh, again, thanks for having me and, uh, congratulations on somebody getting some deer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I am now motivated. I was kind of hemming and hawing over it, whether I should get the tag or not. And cause I didn't feel like I had the tools and the resource and I learned a lot. I learned an absolute lot. And I'm not just saying that cause I invited you on. This was my idea to have a podcast, but I learned an absolute ton. So I've got, I feel like I have the tools to get out there and give it a shot. And I'm not just taking my gun for a walk or following something that's well, a dog, I can't dog wait track. To, <laughs> so I can't wait to take you out or uh, hear about you killing your own. And, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Alrighty. Well, thanks. And I'll let you get back to your day. Have a good one. All right. See ya. Bye. Great episode with Skylar. I appreciate him coming on, giving a bunch of secrets that essentially could make his hunting a little more difficult if we had more people out in this area. But again, don't forget, this is something that could be done across the West. Our style, I guess, of hunting lions is using snow, um, dry ground, tracking i uh, i don't know maybe you could cut a track in some sand i don't i don't know that's that's a whole nother whole nother conversation but having some snow on the ground snowing right now uh it's january 2nd and tomorrow would be an absolute amazing day to be getting out 
And that's when I'm going to release this episode. So hopefully you're getting motivated to get out. There's a lot of the season left in most of the Western states, if not all of them. Uh, so again, here's some of those questions I had and his answer. So in your calling sequence, uh, in that 40 to 60 minutes of calling, I asked him, do you just play nonstop one sound? Do you give breaks? Uh, what's a calling sequence? And he said he mixes it up. He designs this his calls in sequence prior to going out, which you can do uh, with a Fox Pro or any of those. You just program it in there, and then you're not messing around with a remote, which often can be a pain if you've ever done that. It seems like on those Fox Pros, you really got to push that button hard. It's kind of a, a pain. But uh, he says never quit for more than three minutes. So um, he is playing something almost that whole 40 to 60 minutes, maybe a minute or two in there, uh, but no more than three of being quiet. And it's probably like being calling for bears. Bears get uh, bored or they the sound disappears and goes away and they say, mm, never mind, lost interest and they move on. So mountain lions must be uh, similar in that regard. So program the, those remotes to have a variety of calls and you just go from the one oddball call to the next to the next uh, with a little break in there. Another question that a buddy of mine asked was about decoys, using visuals on your calls. And he said zero decoys or visuals. They see that stuff way before you see them and they almost never commit. They just sit in the wood line, uh, stare at it until you get up to leave, then they slip away. So those are great questions. I feel like I have all the tools now. My tag arrived in the mail today, and we'll see if I can get up and get rolling with a nice early morning. The only thing is it's keeping me back is feeling guilty about uh, I know my wife's going to have to wake up early with the nine-month-old. So we'll see if we can get that that hunt to happen. Uh, Want to do multiple this year to see if we can't can't uh, find a find find a mountain lion. So again, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed. Uh, Skyler said to reach out. So if you got questions, you heard his social. I'll link it below. And again, thanks for listening. Join Waypoint TV and LG channels in celebrating Great Outdoors Month. Presented by Battery Tender. Tune in every Tuesday and Sunday in June starting at 7 p.m. Eastern. Channel 109 on your LG Smart TV. You can also watch Waypoint TV at lgchannels.com. 